You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, we are excited every week when we get to worship with you, and we're so glad that you're here to praise our King. Uh, if you have not had a chance to go through the bulletin yet, uh, recommend taking some time at some point today to look through this. There's lots of really good information in here for you. Uh, We wanted to highlight some of the things that are in here. First of all, in the middle of the bulletin, there is a section about our life groups here. Um, We are right now enrolling people in life groups, and life groups have a long history here at SciFair Christian Church. And one of the things we hear over and over again about life groups is that for so many people, that is where major areas of growth in their life has taken place. That is where the friends who have become family have been discovered. And that is where people get closer to God. So if you're not in a life group, if you're looking for a life group, there's probably something on a day and time that works for you. Highly encourage you to look at that section and uh, reach out to us about getting involved in one. Another thing that has had a huge impact in our church over the years is VBS. And it is only February. Our VBS is not until June, but we start preparing early This coming Wednesday is our first VBS work night. Uh, We meet upstairs in the epicenter, which is the upstairs big room of the Impact Center next door, on Wednesday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. We have supplies, we have materials, what we need are people. People that are willing to say, I'll let you show me how to do it, and then I'll do it. And, And all skill levels all talents, we can find something for you to do. If you have uh, interest in attending one of those, please reach out to me, reach out to Alicia Reitmer. We would love to give you more information about what happens on our VBS work nights. And then lastly, we know that for some of you, today's a big day. Super Bowl Sunday. For some of you, it's because of commercials. Uh, For Joe, it's because of the Niners. But we want you to know that if you are looking for a place to watch the commercials or the game, uh, the students are hosting a Super Bowl party tonight uh, right next door. And it's not just for students. Anybody can come. Show up. Bring a dish to pass if you have a favorite Super Bowl dish and have some fun with us tonight. Okay? Um, If you think you're going to go, you can tell someone about it when you guys stand and greet each other now. Go ahead and say hello to the people around you. My name is Jessica. Mari. Becky. Matt Dearman. Lonnie. Amy. Rob. Ronnie or Veronica, depending on who you ask. Two trips. Three trips. Six trips. Eight trips. Thirteen trips. Yeah, the one in two weeks will be my 30th trip. You know, from the minute we got there, we were honored guests. Clean sheets in all the beds, there were dressers, there was air conditioning in every room. I've never slept on the ground. I've always had a nice bed. The food is typically local cuisine. The food's delicious always. We had everything from like spaghetti, chicken fried steak. I grew up in Mississippi and fried chicken's a big deal in Mississippi and the best I've ever had was in Guatemala, go figure. We were joking with each other that we weren't sure before coming whether we might lose weight, but we knew, no, that wasn't gonna happen. 
You know, I think Living Water really changed my perspective on short-term missions. I started to feel really um, heavy that we were going down, maybe doing more harm than good by doing a project and leaving, and how did that impact the community? But when we went with Living Water, I felt like we joined into what was already happening, and I felt like when we left, it would continue. My first time was not so much out of a sense of service and going to try to, to uh, help people and save the world. It was more out of a sense, sense of adventure. It's hard to explain what happens and what changes when you go. Uh, we're going down there and sometimes we sort of arrogantly think that we're going down there to help some people and give them some uh, clean water. I went and it absolutely changed my life. And this is something that for 10 years now has been my mission. God is with me, he's taking me, he's sending me. The staff took care of us and we felt protected and safe all the time. If I really had ever been scared on a trip, I don't think I would keep going 18 times on trips. There's this huge uh, world out there where people are not as lucky as we are. And you see firsthand, you're right there, um, seeing where people have to go and, and get their water. I feel like if a community doesn't have clean water, you have no nothing to build on. The way it affects educational opportunities, the way it affects economic opportunities. Like what a basic need. Like, And if God calls us to anything, he calls us to action to help meet that need. When you've actually gone through the experience and you see the lives transformed at that well, like when you see grown men cry because it's the first time they've ever seen clean water, like you understand and it becomes part of like your being. Wow. Drilling was an amazing experience. You get pretty dirty. It's fun. What, what boy doesn't like to go get in the mud? And I wanted the kids in the community to see a female drilling. When you hit water and you, you know it, and, and the water comes up, there's no feeling like it. There's people there telling you exactly what to do, so it's not that you, have, like you never are like, gonna hurt yourself, people are watching out. You know, it's, it's not all about the drilling, that the work that the sanitation and hygiene teams are doing is every bit as important. So we do um, Bible story skits and hygiene skits. It's fun, by the end of the week, the kids are all doing the dances and all the movements in Spanish and English. So I speak a little bit of Spanish, but it doesn't matter if you don't speak any Spanish. There's translators and you can still teach and you can still interact with people. There was a chance this last trip to visit the well that we had dug the first year. We pull up to the well site and the kids start running toward the van, which we looked out and recognized a lot of them and thought how cool that these kids, you know, we get to see them again. What we didn't recognize or really think what happened is that they remembered us and not just us, but our names. And so as soon as we get out of the van, they start calling our names. And in the middle of sobbing as we walk toward the well, we realize like what a great picture of what God does and wants for us. Like he calls us by name to go, but he also wants us to know names. One of the biggest connections that I made was with my own teenage son. You know, it, it absolutely rocked his world. It, it, it changed him and it, he opened up and actually expressed emotion and decided this was something he wanted to do long term. For me, the most effective evangelists growing up have always been those people who don't have to talk about faith. They, they live it. You're gonna get way more out of it than you put into it. Don't say no, just go. You leave something there that you can go back to and you can say, look, there's a well there. 
You know, I had something to do with that. Life's a risk, it can be, but sometimes when we step into that fear is when God uses us the most. So if you feel worried about going, know that God's already gone before you. That's a tremendous segue into my talk, which is living water, if you can figure that out. Our church, whose DNA is made up, includes mission trips. Living water is just a part of it, and it's something that we embrace here. We have a lot of folks that have gone on it. This will be our 13th year as a church going to trips, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Africa. And what I'm going to do today is just encourage y'all to think about it. We have a trip coming to Guatemala in uh, April from the 18th to the 25th. It's a week, Saturday to Saturday. Everything you saw up there is true. I would emphasize the chicken is very true. <laughs> Outstanding. And we will be going to Guatemala, by the way. What I'd like to do is take a team of women and men back to Guatemala. I'm looking for eight men, and the women can drill too. They teach hygiene, they work on the well, everything you saw in that. I would have to say, and I've been with Living Water going on 13 years, that's one of the best videos that encompasses all of the components. But the part that really is uh, very important to me is what you feel spiritually and what you get out of it spiritually. We are arrogant Americans up here. And when we go down there, we have none of the creature comforts. You'll stay in an air-conditioned room, but during the day, you're gonna be out in the villages and it's hot. It's near the equator, it's what you would expect. And it's humid. But what you're doing is giving back. You're doing God's work. And you're giving to people that need it. They truly need it. People are dying down there and around the world. There's a lot of folks that do not get access to clean water. And we take it for granted. So folks, think about it. Pray about it. If you have questions, in your bulletin is an uh, uh, a email that you can reach me on. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about it while I'm here today. Living Water has been a passion of mine, so I'll be more than happy to take time to talk about it. So as we prepare to receive our offerings, think about also going and doing as part of God's work. Father, we thank you for this time together that we can come to your house and pray and worship. And we just ask for your blessings upon this congregation. Especially like to uh, thank you for the work that Living Water has done and being a part of that and watching over this church as it sends out missionaries to work protecting us. We thank you for uh, our staff here, Father. We thank you for the work that's being done. We ask now that you would uh, receive these offerings that, that would be to further your kingdom. In your son's holy name, amen. Good morning. What an incredible, beautiful weekend we've had so far. Um, hope that that continues for you today. Today we launch into a new series entitled Counter Culture. Counter Culture. Um, for the next three weeks, today and the next Two weeks, we'll be looking at the Beatitudes, and then for several months, we will be journeying through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is without a doubt the most famous uh, sermon Jesus taught. 
it might almost be the least understood sermon Jesus taught. Uh, It's challenging um, to get your arms around. And so I hope with God's help, as we dig into his word, um, we will have a better understanding down the road of what this counterculture movement called Christianity looks like. I want to define counterculture, first of all. It is a subculture whose values and norms of behavior differ substantially for those of the mainstream society, often in opposition to mainstream cultural mores. So you have the norms of society, Um, Society headed in this direction, specifically a culture headed in this direction. And then you have a movement which is counter. The definition goes on. Counterculture movements express the ethos and aspirations of a specific group of people. When they reach critical mass, counterculture movements can trigger dramatic cultural changes. We know about counterculture movements. Um, Some of you know about them better than others. You've been a part of them. One counterculture movement was the Summer of Love in the 1960s, right? A group of about 100,000 people gathered in California. Uh, I think it's near San Francisco. And they had different values. They had different dress, uh, different other things, but different values than most of society. Um, they were anti-war. They were often anti-consumerism. Um, they were different. And they spoke loudly their convictions. Now guys, the tendency can be to automatically put a counterculture movement all in a good basket or all in a bad basket. Uh, It's hard for us not to do that. It's hard for us not to do that. So summer of love, first example. A second example is the homeschool movement. Uh, Most of you know, my wife's taught in the public schools for 30 years, but uh, I'm just letting you know, I'm not anti-public schools. I'm not pro-homeschool. It's just a fact. The homeschool movement is a counterculture movement that most people did not think would last. It came into existence in the 80s. Many people think that it began with evangelical Christians. It did not begin with evangelical Christians. It actually began with John Holt. He's one of the early proponents. He's a Yale graduate. He was an educator, and he did not believe that the educational system really understood nor taught the way children learned. So he moved away, he left formal education and he was planted early seeds of the homeschool movement. In 85, there were 50,000 roughly, that number of homeschoolers in the United States. 
Uh, many um, women were going back into the workplace or going in the workplace for the first time. That's one reason people did not think it would last. But in 2001, there were one point, between 1.5 million and 1.9 million homeschoolers in the U.S. Um, today, there are over 3 million homeschoolers in the U.S., that is a counterculture movement. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Uh, most recently, Antifa. Uh, many of you have heard about Antifa, the anti-fascist, um, sometimes anti-capitalism movement. They're made up of a wide variety of people, though. Um, we can buttonhole them into one belief, one ideology, but anarchists, socialists, communists, um, it can be a little bit of all of the above. So fast forward, maybe fast backward, because we're going to be looking at the Sermon of the Mount. But none of those counterculture movements compare to the greatest counterculture, both secular culture at that time and religious culture at that time. The greatest counterculture movement that has ever been seen on the face of this earth was led by a carpenter named Jesus. He shocked people by what he said. He, he literally turned uh, the world, his followers, upside down. His own people rejected him because the things he said were so different from the way they saw the world. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Today we'll be looking at Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person in this place today. Father, I thank you that we come to you from a wide variety of backgrounds, a wide variety of perspectives. We hold um, different values without a doubt. Father, some of us are are walking into this place during one of the greatest, the best times in our life. Father, some are in this place and, and Father, they feel like they're about to go under just as the song was singing about, the waters are coming. Father, some are, are feeling the heat, the fire. Some feel like they've been chewed up and spit out. Father, I pray that all of us might know that we are here for a purpose today, that you have a message for us today, that you long for your message to move beyond our mind as important as that is. But Father, you long for your message to move to our hearts. Father, forgive us for just going the same way our culture does, headed in the same direction with the same results. Father, teach us today about what it means to be part of your kingdom. 
to live with your values. Father, help us to to begin to get a picture of what it truly means to be blessed. We pray that we had learned from you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we saw that Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, he was preaching in all of Galilee, he was healing um, people with all kinds of problems, mental problems, physical problems, spiritual problems. Jesus was healing the multitudes and large crowds were following him. Said that people in that whole region had heard about Jesus. And so we see one of those crowds right here in Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, Jesus seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are or those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Today we're going to look at the poor. We're going to look the poor in spirit. We're going to look at the mourners. We're going to look at the meek. We're going to look at what these words mean and how we might apply these principles in our life. The passage is more about perspective than obedience. It's more about perspective than obedience. It's more about how we embrace life and embrace the difficulties of life. It's more about how our eyes are opened by God to truth. It's more about what God says of us, right? Than something we've accomplished. The word blessed is often translated happy and it's actually an accurate translation, but please hear me. It's not about the emotion, the feelings of the individual. It's about a statement from God about this group of people. That's a big difference. God is saying, you, you, When you are poor in spirit, you are blessed. You receive blessing. When you mourn, when you grieve, when you're brokenhearted, you are blessed. You will be comforted. When you are meek, when you're gentle, you're kind, when you're power under control, you are blessed. It's really, it's unique. Gentle, kind people inherit the earth. This is a total different perspective. All of these words, it's really, it's upending the thoughts of the crowds that Jesus is speaking to. Tony Campolo writes these words. The things you thought had value 
don't have value. And the things you care about the most, you should care about the least. And the things you are striving for are not worth striving for. The things you're trying to avoid at all cost or the things you need to move into because that's where the life of God is found. You see, the Beatitudes, they're bad news for the independent. They're bad news for the self-sufficient. They're great news for those who are dependent. They're great news for people who come to God with nothing in their hands. They're great news for people who do realize I'm inadequate. Blessed, happy are those who come to this realization. Let's just walk through them now. First of all, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's a way we will say that today. All right, you can find real life. You can find real life when you come to the end of yourself. You can find real life when you come to the end of yourself. Blessed are those who are bankrupt. That's about as coming to the end of yourself as you can get, right? I've never been bankrupt. I have friends that's been through bankruptcy. It's embarrassing, it's depressing, it's overwhelming. You just come to the end of your rope financially. But guys, this word poor here, there's no magic to it, by the way. It means poverty, poverty. I don't know if you've ever been in poverty, but if you've been there, you understand it in a way no one else in this room understands it. My dad was raised very poor. He hated sweet potatoes. Why'd he hate sweet potatoes? Because that's all they had to eat. He would take a sweet potato in a can. Now, my dad's past. This is many, many years ago. My dad was, would be 92 today if he were living. He'd carry a sweet potato in a can to school and they'd put it on the wood-burning stove to keep it hot. I get why he didn't like sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes. Marshmallows, brown sugar, you know, all those kind of things. Now, I, I like them plain as well. But you see, if, you, if you've not been there, you don't get it. You don't understand begging. You don't understand poverty. You don't understand having nothing. And, and this word poor means just that, poor. In the book of Isaiah, we have Isaiah 41, 17, God speaking, when the poor and needy seek water, how appropriate, When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Now, this is literal, parched. My mouth's a little dry right now. Not parched, though, just dry. Poor, poverty, dependence, begging, but poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, what does that mean? Does it mean a doormat? You know, you're just beat down. 
What does it mean? It means to come to the end of yourself. You no longer have all the answers. You don't have the answers. So you turn to someone who does have the answers. The Pharisees had all the answers, but there were so many people who were weary and worn out from working, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, just worn out. Blessed are those who come to the end of themselves. Literally, they're poor in spirit. They come to God with empty hands. Theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. You want to be a citizen of God's kingdom? You will only become a citizen when you come to God with empty hands. Jesus tells this story, two men, they're in the temple and they're praying. Says he also told this parable to some who did what? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That word contempt, we have a phrase, you look down your nose at other people, right? You just think you're better than other people. And they trusted in who? Who? Themselves. See, they they hadn't come to the end of themselves. They weren't poor in spirit. They trusted in themselves. And they looked down their nose at everyone else because they thought they were better. And Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off, Pharisee's just listing all that he does. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, the God be merciful to me, a sinner man, went down to his house justified. He went down to his house right, rather than the other, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Beautiful thing about poor in spirit. Again, we come to the end of ourselves. We come to God with nothing in our hands. But after we enter God's kingdom, we're a child of God. We're in relationship with God. Be very careful. Pride is just waiting at the door. You're praying, you're studying God's word, you're attending church, giving in a home group, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. Be careful, you you might start looking down your nose at other people. Never forget that we come to God with nothing in our hands and make no doubt 
we continue to come to God with nothing in our hands. We don't give God our prayers to earn a relationship. We don't come to church to earn a relationship. We don't give to earn a relationship. We can earn nothing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's look at the next beatitude. Y'all know when I'm starting a new series, there's so much I could say. So I'm just having to kind of rein it in. I do want us to get out by the Super Bowl. Um, (laughs) Back to Matthew chapter five. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, the word mourning, mourn, grieve. There's no magic meaning here. It means to outwardly express the pain that is on the inside. To outwardly express the pain that is on the inside. You gotta get out what's in. And if you don't get out what's in, it will do you in. Did you hear me? If you don't get out what's in, it will do you in. We all have an emotional pressure valve in our life. One cause of depression is your unwillingness or inability to let out what's stewing up within. Grief, mourning is important. And hence, here is a other way of stating this beatitude. You can find real comfort. You can find real comfort when you let out what you're holding in. Real comfort when you let out what you're holding. It might be something you've been holding in for years. It might be something you've been holding in for a day. But you know, if we don't let out what we're holding in, it will affect our relationship with those we love. It will affect our relationship with our coworkers. It will affect our relationship with people that we go to church with. It will affect our relationship with God. It will. A person can die a slow emotional death who never lets out the pain that they're feeling within. I can remember 15 years ago going to a counselor. I was going through a tough time in my life. Church I was pastoring was going through a tough time. And so I go to this counselor and, and um, Jennifer and I are we're struggling with one of our kids. It might've been 13 years ago. I'd have to calculate and you don't need that. It doesn't matter. But I'm seeing the counselor and and I'm talking to her. One of the best counselors in the city of Houston, no joke. I've referred many people to her and um, she's just amazing. But I'm telling her about the pain in my life. I mean, I've taken a step. I'm trying to get out what I've been holding in, right? That's a good step, right? But after I've told her all kind of stuff, she says, Dale, 
I need to tell you something. I said, what? She said, do you realize that you have a smile on your face while you're telling me about the most painful times in your life? I said, no, I, I didn't know that. She said, I, I'm really afraid that you feel like you just always have to be smiling. I said, maybe so. You see, guys, grieving, mourning, it's when we get honest with ourselves and honest with our emotions. It's when we can shed tears, when we can be sad, when we can hurt. We don't live emotionally for those around us. We hope that others will accept us where we're at, what we're in, how we feel, and we get out what we're feeling in here. I'm telling you, it's critical. Why? It's very practical because you won't find comfort, you won't be comforted until you mourn. We could look at the stages of grief, we could use that as an example. But guys, I wanna take it home to where Jesus, I believe, was taking it. Because just as it just wasn't for poor people, it was for people who are poor in spirit, it's not just people who mourn the death of a loved one, no, it's people who mourn. Just as poor in spirit is about coming to the end of yourself, mourning is mourning that connects with repentance. You know, sin's an ugly thing, is it not? Sin. Choosing my way over God's way, it's an ugly thing. Rebellion, it's an ugly thing. Some of you just think you've been through a rebellious child. Most of you don't know what a rebellious child looks like. I could list some people for you to talk to. Then you'd say, oh, my kid's awesome, right? The morning that's associated with hurting others, hurting ourselves, and hurting God. God hurts for his children just as we hurt for our children. And when we come to the end of ourselves with empty hands, we come clean about our sin, choosing our way over God's way, and we mourn. Now be careful. Just as we don't always have to have a smile on our face, we don't go about with a frown on our face. That's some people's image of Christianity. You know, there's a time to smile, there's a time to mourn, and there's something in between. And for me, it's always gonna look more smiley. And for some of you, it's gonna look more mourny, <laughs> right? Hey, it's just our personality, but we're not talking about personality here. We're talking about brokenness that is a result of rebellion. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Listen to these scriptures. Kevin did a, a service the other night. Um, Abby, who helps lead worship on stage, her mother-in-law had passed, is a beautiful service as we celebrate it. 
uh, her life, her, her mother-in-law's life. And um, a scripture that I associate with funerals again and again and again is Isaiah 66, 13. And God speaking, he says, as one whom his mother comforts. I don't know your relationship with your mom. I don't know good or bad. I can just speak of my relationship with my mom. There was no better comforter in my life than my mom, period. End of story. And so it's sometimes hard to put God in this motherly role, but that's what God says of himself. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted. You shall be comforted. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Listen to Psalm 30, 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Different cultures mourn different ways. There's no doubt about that. I am going to say always that we gotta get outside what's inside We have to get our emotions out and not just stuff them in. But we're not all gonna shave our heads. That was common in this culture. We're not all gonna put on sackcloth and ashes. That was common in this culture, right? But we can cry, we can be sad, we can get angry. This comfort comes now. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with I love this word, gladness. It's not about just now, though. It's about someday, Revelation 21. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. There's a day coming when we don't have to get anything that's inside, outside. Grief will be over. Man, doesn't that sound awesome? Grief will be over. Pain will be gone. For the former things have passed away. Last beatitude. Blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have images in our mind about meek. The word meek. Some of us have good images. Most of us have, you know, meek is weak. You know, I'm, I'm going to war, I'm going to battle, and I'm going to ask John to be on my team because he's the meekest person I know. See, it doesn't, it doesn't really fit, does it? So I'm going to ask Jill um, to take on this project. It's critical to our company. Critical. Fav's vision and leadership, and I'm asking her primarily because she is the meekest person I know. Doesn't really fit, right? So here's the principle we're going to close with. You can find real strength. It's counterintuitive. You can find real strength when you surrender control. So we've talked about coming with empty hands. We've talked about getting 
out what's in, confessing, mourning, being honest, being broken, but now strength that comes from surrender. The word meek is very unique, and if you read different commentaries, different authorities on this word, it gets confusing. I do believe it all fits together, though. So you have gentle, mild, those are words that go hand in hand with meek. In classical Greek, you um, would hear uh, soothing medicine described with this quality of meek. A gentle wind was described with this quality as meek. So soothing medicine, gentle wind. But another thing that was described as weak was a wild animal that was brought under control. Wow, that's a spectrum, isn't it? Soothing medicine, gentle wind, wild animal. I love horses, I've owned horses, not in years, but I have. I've watched people breaking horses using multiple techniques, some that you would like, some you wouldn't like. But there's nothing like seeing a wild animal, I mean a horse, not born, born in the wild, not in captivity, Google it, amazing videos, All it's known is freedom, never control. To be brought into captivity, to be trained, to be broken, to surrender to its master. Say, Dale, that's so cruel. Well, actually, it doesn't have to be cruel. It can be painful. For you and I, it's usually painful because we want our freedom. We don't want to be broken. We don't want anyone else to be in control except me. I want to be in control. But you know, one of the most beautiful animals on earth is a horse that has been well-trained, that's being ridden by someone. There's mutual love, mutual respect. It's a beautiful thing to see that animal work and perform and reach its full potential. Broken. Broken. Have you ever been broken? Just broken. Crushed. It's painful. It is. Poor in spirit. Mourning. Meek. Gentle, mild, power under control. Strength under control. If you have your Bible, before I close, I want us to look at Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28. So broken, power under control, gentle and mild. You want to know the kind of person I want around me when I'm going through brokenness, pain, suffering, 
I want someone who's gentle and mild. I want a meek person near me. Why are they gentle and mild? Because they've been there. How do they understand? How do they know when to be quiet and when to say a gentle word? How do they know they don't have all the answers to your struggles because they've been there and no one had all the answers to their struggles? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Not the mighty, not the powerful, not the stallions of this world. The people you think who are gonna inherit the earth, they don't. It's the meek. Power under control. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I never can move far beyond. Come to me, all you who are weary and worn out, and I will give you rest. I'm going to ask those serving communion to come forward at this time. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He gave his life for us that we might have life and we celebrate the sacrifice he made every Sunday as we take part in communion. We come to this table of grace. We're reminded of the blood he shed with the cup. We're reminded of him coming to this earth and taking on the form of a servant, the bread. People who are poor in spirit come to the table of grace. We come with nothing in our hands all we have is faith in Jesus. Father, I thank you that you pronounce us blessed. And Father, I pray your blessing over your people today. Father, we are thankful that you allow us to come to the end of ourselves and to be citizens of your kingdom. Father, we celebrate that privilege. We celebrate your grace right now, this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.